Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Post 20 Podcast. You're now listening to episode, man, I don't even know what episode it is. I believe it is 181. Last week was 80. My name yes. is Evan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt, who you just heard. What's going on? Yeah, a good week. Uh, I stuck to my word. I got back on the the clip side of things, and I feel like it was definitely off to a good start um got some interaction with people and we've been reaching out to a broader audience now so just need to keep up on the on the train of consistency and yeah but when we go to the, our records wise last week with the pick'em we had boz on last week if you guys haven't listened to that yet go check it out um our record wise you and boz evan went three and six and then zach and i on the other end went six and three so opposites there um very happy there I, I i went off to a good start i was like four now and then fell through obviously chelsea and spurs kind of let us down there but it is what it is i'm sure you're happy with arsenal keeping up the role yeah yeah i mean i i totally am i'm not taking a ton of pleasure in uh in some of these other results i mean chelsea like for for the agenda that I'm pushing that maybe they're back that two two draw against Everton is not necessarily you know something <laughs> that reinforces uh, that notion and then for Spurs who I kind of expected uh, to pick it up here towards the end of the season a three three fucking thriller with Southampton so yeah I don't know man that that was a very very strange weekend uh in the prem there was a lot of goals scored I feel like in games that I didn't necessarily think uh would be high scoring wolves leads we had fucking four two there and then Arsenal mm-hmm. put four past palace too so yeah yeah I just think um maybe teams didn't show up uh defensively uh this week it just just didn't feel that way to me uh some of the teams that have been staying tight in matches over the past couple of weeks decided uh that you know they were just going to get themselves uh absolutely obliterated by other competitions so we'll get into these games um we have remake uh not remakes but replays or makeup games from match day seven and match day eight match day seven being of course southampton versus brentford which went off five days ago wednesday march 15th Brentford with a 2-0 victory over Southampton, uh, who then reverted their form in the, the next fixture. But we'll talk about this one. Um, Ivan Tony, who somehow is still playing uh, at this point, scored in the 32nd. Yoan Wissa added one in stoppage time uh, at the end of the game in the 97th minute, a late Goal to uh, secure all three points. That was no doubt after that one. And then on Southampton's side, I mean, just a very, very quiet performance. Not a ton going on. Ward Prowse was in there. Uh, Adams and Alcaraz have been players that at points have looked good this season. uh, Just did not look great in this one. Brentford controlled the pace. This is what we've come uh, to expect from Brentford. Very physical. Uh, they pack it in when they have to. They play out of the back. I mean, this is just a really, really good team. Uh, Brentford find Ivan Tony when they need to. Brian Embuemo, I think, is another player who is just totally unsung, really. And then uh, Norgard as well. Continually very impressive. And Brentford are just kings of grinding out results. Uh, the The fixture after this one wasn't a great result for them, but... 
they are just playing so far above where I would have imagined them playing uh, when they were promoted uh, a couple of years ago. And I am just week in and week out really, really pleased with how Brentford line up and, and perform. Yeah, it was a solid showing from Brentford there. It was a good bounce-back win after falling short against Sean Dice in the previous fixture there where they lost 1-0. Uh, playing on the road as well, they haven't been the most successful. I believe this was only their fourth fourth win on the road, I believe. So big, big confidence for them and Thomas Frank on the road. He even said in a pre-match interview he was surprised that that was their record on the road. Just shows um, how confident he is in his side, whether they're home or away. But yeah, Ivan Tony still, it seems like it doesn't matter now about the gambling thing. Um, he's getting calls up, called up to England as well for their international break team over the likes of Rashford and, and uh, Mount, I believe. They were left off the squad. But for Southampton to lose this game is, is bad um, because of how tight it is at the bottom of the table, and even securing a point here would, would go a long way for them, obviously, with uh, nine teams being crunched in there within four points now. It's getting tighter and tighter, and we're we're running out of matches for them to pick up points. So, to lose to lose out here is tough for Sellers and the guys, but uh, they definitely bounced back in the the fixture against Spurs later on. We'll get to. Yeah, for sure. Okay, uh, let's move on to the next makeup game. A very very quiet match. Brighton one, Crystal Palace nil. Solly March netted in the fifteenth minute. Uh, after that, I imagine that Brighton would just blow the doors off this one, but it was another case of Palace really containing. They did this last week uh, or in the, the prior fixture, and then they did it again here. They really shut Brighton down well. Um, this this Palace team in general has just been so poor. They don't have a win in like 14 fixtures, I think, which is insane. Uh, Edward, Elise, Zaha, all of the regular suspects in on this one. Eze came in off the bench. Mateta came in off the bench. You would expect that Palace would be able to conjure some sort of offense, but it has been so dire for them offensively within the last two, three months, really, at this point. Um, unfortunately, after this game, uh, Mr. Patrick Vieira was sacked just two days after uh, this game he was he was relieved of his duties as Brighton manager so farewell to St. Patrick he was fired on St. Patrick's Day ironically um, so he'll be looking for a new gig I'm sure but this this whole experiment really with Palace I, I don't think you can blame it on Vieira or say that he had all that much to do with the success I mean I, I just think he was a good enough manager, and Palace, as per usual, just don't perform, really. And if they do perform, uh, they're good for a few weeks, and then they're really shit for a few weeks. It's just, it's tough, man. I, I don't know if anybody who would, who would want that job. It is a very, very tall task, because no matter the talent they bring up or they have, uh, they're just always really mid or bad. There's not really anything in between. Uh, and that's how they played in this game. Defensively good, offensively poor. Brighton, a team that will take any advantage they can get. Uh, nicked a goal early, Solly March, and and held through and, and just took all three points. Yeah, credit to Brighton there. They take their chances when they come. 
the Matoma March link up is too much for teams at times, it seems like. And to get that goal early on was a big psychological advantage for Deserbi and his men at home. But focusing more on the Palace side, as you already mentioned with a lot of that, uh, focusing on the manager and the sacking of him, with only, at the at this point, only 11 games left to to scrape out of this position, do you think that was the right decision to get rid of him? At this time, they were, I believe, like five or six points clear of the relegation spot. Or no, they were only three still. But there's so many teams below them that it seems like it was. it's highly unlikely that all those teams are going to jump them with all their um, trials and tribulations and just all the negativity around those clubs. So uh, what's your take on the on the timing of his sacking? Yeah, I mean, I don't... I don't necessarily know if it was what they should have done. I think they probably should have stuck with him um, just because you don't want to shake things up like this unless you already have somebody waiting in the wings to take over. Because at this point, the thing you're left with doing is either keeping Patty Mick, whatever the fuck his name is, the the Irish guy, uh, or who, by the way, only played one Premier League game his entire career. So just factor that in. Uh, Big stage for him. Or, uh, going back to Roy Hodgson, who is literally 95 years old and is probably knocking on death's door. I just don't think that was the right thing to do. I think they should have just kept Vieira, and if they were going to get rid of him, that's fine. Even you can tell him, you know, Patrick, I don't think, you know, this is going to move forward after this season. But do not uh, get rid of a manager that your players like. And that was the general consensus of all the reports that I've read. Uh, most of the first-team players really, really liked Patrick Vieira, and I can see why uh, those would be the players that are in his first team would have grown up watching him play. Uh, and from from all reports, he's a very, very nice uh, guy, and, and the players liked him as a manager. I just don't think this was the right time to sack him. Uh, if you want to sack him, fine, but doing it now when you're in this form uh, and things look this ugly and congested at the bottom of the table... I think may have been a mistake. Uh, I know Roy Hodgson has saved them before, but I, I don't know, man. I think his time is coming on. Yeah, I'm seeing now that a lot of outlets are reporting the last 15 to 20 minutes that Hodgson has agreed to oh, return. So he is 75 years old. His last job was with Watford last season. Um, he was, I think, their second or third manager of last season, yeah. trying to save them, just like he is going to have to do with Palace here. But they ultimately did go down, uh, as Watford always do, it seems like. But this Palace team has been in the Prem for over 10 years, I think. I forget yep. when they officially came up. I think they it, came up in 2011, if I remember, 2011 or 2012. Yeah, so they've been a perennial mid-table type of team in the, in the league. Uh, I think they, they were kind of on the front foot with it, Steve Parrish and the board and all these execs making this decision because it's such a financial uh, burden if you lose all this money going down. And they've been in the league so long that they're the pillars of the club are cemented around this type of, of budget every year. So I don't know. It's going to be really tough now that Zaha's officially back after his injury. He's been playing the last couple of games. He has been a problem. Uh, for defenses to handle we saw that uh, with Arsenal even he should have put away one or two chances potentially yeah but it they need a bit more from guys around them with the, the whole midfield situation maybe that's where they need to dig out more chances from Schlupp was 
uh, had a chance in the Arsenal game too. We'll get to later, but I think they have all the the right players that have the quality to keep them up. It's just a matter of how they're going to deploy them and the tactics of getting position players in the right positions. So I think step one definitely is getting Guaita back to full fitness. You've yeah. had Whit- Whitworth, who is only 19 years old. He's been a Palace fan his whole life, and I think that's a great moment for him to to, to start for his, his boyhood club for two games now. But you can tell there's a lack of experience there, and... The players did their best to support him, but Guaita is such a, a great shot stopper in the league and has saved a lot of points for them this year too. So securing that position, getting Guaita back to full fitness will help a lot. And it also makes you have to think back to Palace in the winter window, letting Jack Butlin go to Man United for the rest of the season on loan. So kind of bit him in the butt there. Um, but I, 10 games left for them. It's it's mission impossible, if you will, in a way, for Roy Hodgson here. Realistically, I think everybody always says the the point mark you want to get to is forty. Um, I think realistically, if they can get another ten points, I think they're pretty safe. Yeah, I think so too. That is typically the uh, the safe spot, you know, right in the middle of the table, uh, come the end of the season, or or at least above the relegation zone. I think if they get ten points, they'll be safe as well. Uh, you look at them in 12th right now, but the, the gap between 12 and 11 is massive, 11 points. Uh, and then the gap from like 11 to 5 is massive as well with 9 points. So I don't know. I feel like there are just like sections of this table this year. There's three sections. Yeah. Um. Real. I mean, really, there's four sections because Arsenal and City are so far ahead. Um, right. of United, and it is actually fucking insane to me when I look at Arsenal at one, and they have sixty nine points. I I can't remember the last time that was the case. Um, yeah, I think I think the if if City and Arsenal win out all their games, you guys you guys can get a max of ninety nine points, where they can only get to ninety four. So yeah, all all you really need is twenty five points in your last ten games. Yeah, so and that's. Then, Saying that makes it sound like it's nothing, but no, you gotta yeah. win it. You gotta win at least eight of your last ten here. Yeah, for sure. And then we have and a you know, match against them. Yeah, you got City, Chelsea's in there. Liverpool, I think you have Liverpool's in there, and so. Tottenham. Yeah. Oh, really? I thought you guys already played them. Twice. No, I think we have one more against Tottenham. I could be wrong. Maybe it's Newcastle that I'm thinking of. Your last ten, you got are Leeds, Liverpool, West Ham. Southampton, City, Chelsea, Newcastle, Brighton, Forest, Wolves. So Okay, so no Tottenham. Half of those games reasonably in your favor, and the other half are kind of big derbies. Obviously, City, it's a six-pointer there, so you take three, they lose three. I think if you win that, it kind of gives you more leeway on some other games you need. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough, um, tough situation for Palace. Yeah, they're they're in the mud. Uh, we'll get to talking a little bit more about Palace, uh, how they lined up under uh, the Patty, whatever the fuck. I actually don't... His name's Patty McSomething, I think. McNair? No? Uh, it's not Patty McNair. I do remember him, though. He, I think that's FIFA. an actual player. Yeah, it <laughs> is. It is. Um, let me find him. I just had an article. Patty yeah. McCarthy. Patty McCarthy. Yeah, I was right. That is the most Irish name possible. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on. Nottingham Forest, one. Newcastle, two. 
despite the tricky trees going ahead in the 26th minute with an Emmanuel Dennis goal. Newcastle rally behind two goals from the Swedish slenderman Alexander Isak. Goal in stoppage time of the first half, the 47th minute, and a penalty in the 93rd. Let Newcastle take all three points. Uh, what a masterclass from Mr. Alexander Isak, who's been unreal uh, the past three weeks or so at this point. He has injected such a uh, goal-scoring ability back into this Newcastle team, and now I'm sitting here saying, yeah, Newcastle are kind of dangerous again. Uh, at points, it's been... Um, what's his name? Fuck it. Miguel Almiron this season, who's been really, really good. At points, yeah. Gimarash has been really good. Willock has been good at points. Uh, really, we, we've been lacking a lot from St. Max, I think, uh, most of the other attacking players. But Isak, when he's gotten a chance to play, has been really, really good. Uh, I think this was a good signing for them. Uh, I think he's been fantastic this season, and he comes in clutch here in a game against the Nottingham Forest team, who can be really tricky on their day. Uh, to secure three points and to launch them uh, further up that table. They are in fifth on 47 points. There's three points off Man United in third, two points off Tottenham in fourth. Yeah, when you you when you play this Forest team at home, it's, it's a completely different team than them on the road. We hit on that all the time. Uh, it's, it's just that, that early mistake from Botman on the first not fully aware of his surroundings and where Emmanuel Dennis is coming from to press the ball. He does the back pass to Pope and the whole situation happens when they score. And I, I was a little worried for Newcastle there down one nil on the road in a hostile environment where uh, your, your top four chances are kind of fading away, falling out of your hands a bit. But to, to get that goal right before the half from Willock to Isak was huge Eddie Howe in the, in the locker room was definitely relieved. It changed this whole talk going forward. Bringing on youngster Elliot Anderson in for St. Max was definitely needed. He brings in a lot more of a defensive work rate than St. Max does. And he even had a great opportunity to score off a cross with a nice volley. Uh, good save and goal from Kaylor Navas. Uh, I, what did you think on the VAR, decision, VAR offsides on his goal? Because explaining that... that that play and and watching it back, it just didn't make sense in my head. So it was a through, it was a cross from Trippier or um, Jacob Murphy to Isak in the middle, I think, and it was cleared away by Felipe, and the overlapping player for Newcastle went to get the ball, who was in an offside position when the ball is crossed, but. It wasn't directly a direct pass to him, so it didn't make sense why he was off sides. The only thing that makes sense is his involvement in the play developing and then the, the ball back across to Anderson on the header. So I don't know what you thought of that situation, but when I was watching it back and it seemed like that was the reason why they ruled it off, it just really confused me. Yeah, I mean, that's that was the impression that I got as well. I mean, I went into the other room and came back to see that VAR was on the screen they were looking at something uh it's just again like var had a really bad weekend last week this is another one where i'm like we have the technology but at the same time what do we have the technology for because i don't even know what the fuck we're looking at um 
I think we've just gone too deep down the rabbit hole, man. They're using it. They're using it to go back so far. There was one. Somebody was found in the buildup. That was Longstaff. I think that was another one. Or was it this? Was this the same chance? I'm not entirely sure, but it's just weird. I don't know if that was just a misunderstanding on the offsides rule, but I just don't. Yeah, know it how was. He... Yes, it was. This was the same one. So yeah, they're looking at two different things. Um, yeah. Longstaff and the offside in the buildup. Here we go. Um, I don't know, man. You read it. You read it down because I watched it. Obviously, I saw the the replay, but. Yeah. You read what what happened the the pitch side notes on on what exactly happened on the pitch and then I go back to in my head what I watched on the television and the two things don't match up. And then you add the factor in of what is the referee looking at on VAR? Is he looking at something entirely different and saying no, you know, we're ruling it off. It's for this even though we went initially to look at something else. It's just a fucking mess. I'm tired of VAR. I think we I know it's not like it's never going away, but the more and more I have to deal with VAR, it's like, what the fuck? Because for some teams, it just seems like they constantly get bailed out by it. And for other teams, they're constantly getting boned by it. So I don't know. I'm tired of VAR. It's confusing more than anything. And it really shouldn't be. It should be very cut and dry. It's something that people asked for forever. And now that we have it, they're like, no, put the worms back in the fucking can. Yeah. But unfortunately, I just don't think that's gonna happen i think it's it's here to stay yeah even even after forrest got their opening goal i never felt like they were really truly getting Same. chance after yeah. chance it seemed like they got a they got thrown a bone and just had to fight to keep it but that 92nd minute penalty kind of bailed out newcastle here because i think realistically this was kind of similar to their bournemouth match a month ago, I think, when they drew Bournemouth 1-1 on the road. So definitely a good bailout here. They have two games on Tottenham above them, so they should realistically jump ahead of them because of Tottenham doing their thing. So I think realistically it's between them and Liverpool, really, who's going to get that fourth-place spot, depending on how that Tottenham situation ends with Antonio Conte. We'll talk about that probably deep, deep into that, but... Yeah, I think Newcastle picking up two wins back-to-back over Wolves and now Forrest are teams they definitely should be beating. I think that's the only thing that might let them down is when they play the teams that I would say are above them talent-wise in that. I think they struggle, and that's where ultimately they might fall out of the top four. But still, it puts them in a comfortable position, uh, five points clear of Liverpool and Brighton down there. Yep. All right, let's move on to... Brentford won, Leicester City won. Brentford struck first as Matthias Jensen scored on what felt like a third chance goal. Very, very scrappy. Leicester tried to clear it uh, off of a corner. They weren't able to do it. Ball fell to Rico Henry. He curled it in uh, and Buemo received, squared it into the middle for Tony, trying to sweat it in there, uh, but he got poked away. Dewsbury Hall made a half clearance. Uh, that one was just not good enough. Ball fell to Matthias Jensen, who fired away, fizzled one uh, low, and it deflected off Pereira. Went right in past uh, the <clears throat> Leicester keeper. 1-0 to Brentford, and then later on, Harvey Barnes equalized. Uh, Dewsbury Hall 
got him into a pocket of space, squared it to Madison. He then played a through ball to Harvey Barnes. Great uh, bit of pace there, uh, beat his defender and fired it right under right under the side of Raya, who kind of rushed and, and tried to stop it. Ben Mee went back, but he couldn't clear it either. 1-1, quiet for the rest of the game. Uh, outside of a Chandon Baptiste red card in the 92nd minute. This is a huge uh, sell by Brentford. They really should have done better here. Leicester City are a club that you can put your uh, foot down on and really strangle them, even if they get a goal back. And Brentford were not able to, not able to do that. This is kind of a bit of a, a shock to me. Uh, Brentford at this point, you know, they had a chance to jump Brighton, jump Liverpool, and they only took a point. So unlucky there for them. Yeah, it was an off game for Brentford here. They let Leicester get back in the game, and ultimately <clears throat> that's where their strength lies is in the attack. Having James Madison fit and available to play the, to the match is crucial for Leicester's survival chances. Uh, getting a guy like Barnes off on a goal here is big. You need him. He's a big confidence guy that definitely can rally and, and support Madison in the build-up play. Uh, it seems like the hype on Tete has kind of died down a bit on that right wing, uh, the low knee for the rest of the season. And then the striker rotation they have up front, I don't think that's getting the job done. I think nope. Brendan Rodgers just needs to stick with one guy and just play him the whole game realistically. But I don't know. There was also the talk of when we're looking at Patrick Vieira being kicked out of Palace, Leicester being in even a worse position there on 17th, one point above the drop. It seems like Leicester's in financial situation right now where maybe potentially the reason why they haven't gotten rid of Rodgers is because they can't pay out his full contract. Yeah. And I don't know. That maybe makes sense because... They've been on runs where they lose three, four straight games as here. They picked up a point, but before this match kicked off, they were on a four straight, uh, four game losing streak. So that makes sense in my mind, but I don't know if these guys can stick out this dogfight with teams that are around them that are used to being down in these situations. It's going to be a very interesting uh, stretch for the rest of the year come the start of April. But yeah, yeah. I think. Leicester getting this point here helps massively, and you're going to see a lot of these teams in this area play each other in the next couple games too. So I think we're really going to see what these players are made out of and who who wants to stay in this league more because if they get knocked down, all these players' wages are going to get cut in half. Yeah, well, here's here's what I think. Um, I agree with the fact that this is a good point for Leicester. It's a very good point for Leicester because Brentford are a good side. Um, I think Leicester will just get straight up raided. If they go down, they yeah. will not be able to keep like even you know a player that you think might fit into one of these other mid-table sides is absolutely going to be gone. They're going to be getting overpaid, you know, bloated wages just to leave. Um and Leicester are going to be stripped um, just absolutely strip mine. Nothing left, in my opinion. They're gonna have to probably get rid of Rogers. He won't stay with them if they uh, go down to the championship. I know at one point this season they're probably like, "Yeah, let's fire him." But now they're gonna wish that he would stay with them if they get they get relegated. This is a tough spot Lester are in, and it is not a spot I thought uh, we would see them in really after their win in 2015 and then their 
continued decent play since then. I just did not expect them to ever be uh, really, really scrapping it out down at the bottom of the table, but here we are. And I kind of thought the same thing about West Ham, you know, this season. We saw them last year. They were good. Uh, I didn't think that that they'd be scrapping it out down there. Uh, I could have seen maybe Everton. I could have maybe seen Wolves. I don't know where I had Wolves at the beginning of the season, but I wasn't expecting West Ham and I wasn't expecting Leicester. So this is something that we have to keep our eyes on towards the end of the season because it's going to be very interesting to see who shows up and, and who chooses not to. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. All right. Uh, let me hand this one over to you. I forgot that we should have been doing this. Um, Southampton 3, Tottenham 3. What a game. Yeah. Um, when you think of Spursy, you think of this game here. It started off pretty hot in the, what was it? In the, yeah, like first half, we saw Richarlson come off with an injury. He was visibly upset um, shortly after last week, him making those comments about being pissed with not getting his game time. And he was given, he got an assist in the previous match. And then this game, you thought he'd definitely get a goal against uh, the bottom of the table Southampton team, but wasn't meant to be. And, Truthfully, Kulisevsky coming in was a massive positive for them. He was always he always is a major impact. We also saw three more injury substitutions. So four subs in the first half, two for each team. It was really weird to watch, especially for Southampton with both of their center backs getting injured. And we saw Maitland Niles play at center back from for the last fifty five to sixty minutes of the game. I don't know what you thought of that, but I've never thought he was a center back. <laughs> no, he's playing at right back. Certainly not. That is uh that is something I can say for certain. He is not a center back. Yeah. We also saw Ben Davies pick up a bit of a knock on it, I think around his hamstring or something, but Parasic came in uh and contributed in his own way. But right before the half we saw Pedro Poro get a goal, uh assisted by Sun. Good way to go into the half there. And then um Che Adams responds at the start of the second half, assisted by Theo Walcott, who also picked up a goal in this game as well in the 77th. So there's always an Arsenal guy coming back at Tottenham. But Harry Kane did score to take the lead to one, assisted by Kulisevsky coming on in the first half, and then Perisic getting the third, as I mentioned before, he made his impact. Uh, as I already mentioned, Walcott scored, assisted by Mara, uh, cross whipped in, Mara heads it down, Walcott, nice clinical tap in. Uh, and then we saw a bit of a controversial penalty given in the 92nd minute, which James Ward-Prowse steps up. This was his third penalty of the year. We already saw he missed his first two this year, but he did bag this one and earned Southampton a massive point to keep them two points within of getting out of the of the drop here. Um, obviously, I think they need three because their goal differential is so bad, but still gives them one game within one game of jumping out of this situation that nobody wants to be in but high intense match a lot of controversial decisions made and most importantly a post match yeah post match interview oh, yeah. that definitely set the stage for or put the ball in Daniel Levy's court to make a decision now but i guess first on your thoughts on the game and how it went down well I mean, this is just not the sort of tempo that I was expecting. This game was end-to-end. There was a lot yeah. of chances, like a ton of chances. Seven shots on target for Southampton, three shots on target for Tottenham. 
I thought Fraser Forster really showed up and he still let in three goals. Um, it's It was wild because I don't feel like Tottenham played that poorly, but there were moments where things were just so fucking ugly and bad and that's when Southampton jumped on them. Southampton really showed up in this one. They were ready. They were ready to get a result. Um, they didn't put their heads down. And they were playing from behind for like pretty much the whole game. No, that all the the entire game. Poro scored, Adam scored right after. Kane scored, Walcott scored ten minutes later. Perisic scored. Ward Prowse scored in the ninety-third. They were not dying. They just didn't want to die. And this is the kind of mentality you have to have as a, a, a team that's scrapping um in the drop zone, you know, just for a fucking point. If you gotta take a point from a top six club. It's a great result at this point in the season. Um, do I feel like Tottenham maybe got boned a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they had some chances early on in the game. Poro had two chances. He blew him over. And then finally, he was close enough that it didn't matter how high he hit it. Uh, it hit the roof of the net. But I don't think Tottenham played poorly. Uh, Perisic is just not like... I don't know. He he doesn't move the needle for me all the time. He gets subbed in in weird spots. He plays left wing back. He plays left mid. It's just, I don't even, I never know what sort of utility player Perisic is going to show up on the day. He got a goal, but he's a liability, I think, on the pitch in, in a lot of different situations. Uh, and then that midfield continually, uh, I think, is, is somewhat solid for Tottenham, but defense lets them down when they play well and they let the defense down when they don't play well. So it's either one of the two things uh, every time I watch Spurs and then you have to factor in the fact that Conte is just an absolute fucker. Uh, he really is. I think he's overrated. I, I think he hasn't taken this job seriously enough. It doesn't seem like he's bought into whatever, you know, this was always the plans. That's always his, his, his word. Uh, this is the plan. This is the plan. Uh, we're, we're going to plan. I just don't think there ever was a plan. I think he wanted to get one more check. Then I'll probably fuck off back to Italy uh, and just be irrelevant. And that's totally fine for me. He took a check from Chelsea. Uh, he, he was better managing in Italy. And I think it's just time to, to go back, uh, maybe go back to Inter. Uh, if they somehow, you know, maybe decide to, to change managers, although I don't really see that happening either. Uh, but I, I feel I feel for Tottenham fans. I feel for the club. This is a truly unfortunate situation. Uh, it, it's time for Tottenham to get a real manager and, and not Conte at this point. So going to the interview, what do you think on his points? Is he was more on the social media train of things, saying that the they have the owner and they haven't won anything in twenty years. What do you think of you the, can't do ma- the man the manager of the club? You're getting paid millions of dollars. Yeah. And- I- you're you're just you're just pretty much saying what comments on Instagram are saying off of uh, Tottenham posts, really. I mean, he's right. <laughs> the shit. The worst part is, and I talked I talked to Kyle, uh, one of my good friends, a Spurs fan. He said he's right, but you know these are our. This is my club, and these are our idiots. He can't talk about them like that. He's. I think that's right. That's true. I totally agree. You cannot be that disparaging the club that is signing your fucking paycheck every week and the club that you're supposed to be digging out of the mud. It's just, it's a bad look. How do you think your players are going to respond if they see how you are disparaging them, the club that they play for, and pretty much everything you've tried to build for the last six months or however long he's been there? It's a bad look. 
It's bad for morale. It's bad for everybody involved, including Conte, because people are going to see this, you know, potential potential next uh, job landing spots for him and say, wow, he was a bit of a cunt when he was there at Tottenham and things weren't going right for him. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. I really, really did not like what I saw from him. Uh, I don't necessarily rate him as an you know unbelievable manager either. He seems like he lacks my favorite thing, which is passion. He doesn't have any. He's just a fucking bastard. Yeah, uh, I don't think it's going to hurt his future endeavors with jobs. He's won a lot of trophies wherever he goes. Obviously not Tottenham, but regardless, I think the thing that people touch on is no, pretty much nothing he said was wrong. It's just that no, he should be saying it. And as you mentioned, he's in this situation with them. He's got to be helping dig them out. But I like the point when he's talking about manager after manager and things aren't changing. And do you think there should be more responsibility on these players? Harry Kane's been here for over 10 years now. And, and you can only do so much with Ben Davies and... Eric Dyer behind you. So it's not on Kane, obviously. He's been a 20-plus goal scorer every year. He's won Golden Boots. He's won almost every individual accolade you can win, maybe bar a... a um, why am I forgetting what it's called? The, the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, he oh, hasn't won that. that, but that's because he's um, English. They don't win them. Right, but still, I mean, front of the pitch isn't the problem. So if you want to specifically point out an area, I guess you would, as you mentioned throughout the year, it's that defense. Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that Tottenham's like development programs are fucking useless. They're so mediocre. When you look at the development of other clubs, City, Arsenal, the tables that are at the t- the teams that are at the top, um, Liverpool, even Brighton, Brighton especially, you have to look for the deals when they're young. And if you don't do that, if you buy the rejects, if you buy the long lay. Uh, you know, those sorts of players, it's just not going to, it's not going to ever turn around. It's just not. And it didn't turn around for Arsenal until they used their young players. That's what you have to do. You cannot just buy uh, guys that maybe were okay at other clubs and expect them to come in and just be world beaters for you. I just don't think that works. And maybe I'm totally off base here, but I don't. I think you have to invest a little bit in your infrastructure and and your your farming systems, essentially. That's it, what they are, your academy, or nothing's ever like it's just not gonna work. Kane was Kane was their last really good player, or is their last really good player, and he came from the academy. They were able to retain him for that long because he trained with them as a boy, and that's you know, he's got Tottenham across his forehead. That's the club that he loves. Uh, despite the pictures of him in an Arsenal kit. I I think that's where change has to happen. It has to happen at a grassroots level. And if it doesn't, then I don't I just don't see Spurs really, unless they get an unreal manager and everybody buys in at, at max passion, max volume, we're ready to go and win. I don't see things changing. And I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm off base, but their their youth development absolutely needs to be cranked up to the next level, uh, or Tottenham are going to to be in a tough spot because Kane's not, you know, he's not young anymore. It's it's going to be that time where he's either moving on because he hasn't won or looking to not looking to but dropping off in in form and, and performance. 
I don't know. Do, do you think that that youth development sort of uh, sentiment that I shared has any sort of merit, or do you think it comes down to transfer business? I think any club needs to have a good base structure when it comes to promoting within from within. Yeah. Uh, I think that also has to do with the coaching staff and all that. Having yeah. a good staff to come through is always the main goal. But when you're a club that is very wealthy and you can go out there and get the best at uh, without having to wait, I think it's a luxury that you kind of have to take advantage of. But still, to still carry that process is important. Um, Harry Kane, I was like looking at his contract. I think, yeah, he's got one year left on his deal. So he could leave for cheap this year under 100 mil because they don't really have to pay out his contract but uh i think he'll definitely re-sign up and stay i don't see him leaving um but touching on southampton real quick and i got one more question on spurs with conte for you but southampton's formed their last six games since Sellers joined i believe his first game in charge was against chelsea i think am i wrong in saying that or was it the game before that well, i think that's right so yeah, in the last six, he's earned eight points, two wins, two draws, two defeats. Comparing that to all the teams around them, I think that keeps them up. Um, and yeah. in those six games, they they've beaten Chelsea and they picked up draws against United and Spurs. So they're doing the most they can right now. So it seems to be a guy that's going to be able to dig them out and squeeze every little bit out of them of yep. of effort and talent. But the last thing about Tottenham and Conte. If you're Daniel Levy, how would you address the situation and would you potentially do what Palace did and get rid of him at this time and maybe try to jump on Potch or somebody? Yeah, I think you have to get rid of Conte. Uh, I also think Daniel Levy should resign. <laughs> but okay. you know, I mean, that guy's just not, never going to go anywhere. Kind uh, of do what uh, Ed Woodward did with United. He left at the end of last year. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak about Daniel Levy uh or to the stereotypes that may uh exist surrounding his his management of the club but we should get Kyle on so that he can do it uh okay. it's it's not my place to do it Kyle is also Jewish just like Daniel Levy so he'd be able to give you a little bit more of an insight just how uh Mr Mr Levy runs that club uh I'll have to reach out to him um but yeah I think I think if Levy knows what he's doing, and I don't, I'm still not sure he does. Uh, you have to get rid of uh, Conte. You have to try and get Poch. That's obviously choice number one. And if not him, then just bring in somebody that's gonna. Cool. Yeah, I mean that would be great as well. Tuchel is a defensive mastermind as well. I think he could shore up that back line. We've seen him, you know, how good he was at Chelsea. Of course the. The quality level of, of center backs and, and wing backs there was a little bit higher, but he made Marcos Alonso into like a world class left wing back. So who knows? It's it's possible for, for him to work magic. Um I don't know. I think some of the pieces are there for Tottenham. I just think right now that Conte, like nobody's bought in, and why the fuck would you? He just seems like a fucking he's been a real bastard this season, you know? So so your priority would be to just get the cancer out now? Yeah, get it out. Yep, cut it out. And that is the word on the street is that they're planning to part ways with him this week. They are on the, yeah, they are. This would be the time on an international break. Get yeah, just get rid of it now. Yep. Uh, how much do you think that's going to affect their chances on top four? Uh, 
cutting him loose or keeping him? I guess each way. Where where would you see keeping him the rest of the All year? Right, so here's what I'm, here's what I without how I feel. If Tottenham bring in Mauricio Pochettino, they will not lose a fucking game for the rest of the season. Those guys are going to be not every single one of the fans. It's very, very, very hard to find a fan that has anything bad, a Tottenham fan that has anything bad to say about Poch. They loved him. I don't see, or I do see the fans completely changing their point of view, their outlook, how everybody feels about the season. If Poch comes in, I think the players play for him immediately. Whatever system he wants to implement, or if he doesn't want to implement a system at all, those guys are going to go out there and fight. Uh, so if it's Poch that comes in, I think Tottenham easily attained top four. I think they're in a great spot looking forward to next season. I think that's the clear and obvious thing you have to do. If they bring in somebody else, I still think Tottenham are in a better shape uh, than they would be if they kept Antonio Conte because that guy does not care right now. And, you know, maybe it's just I'm so mad about it because he's been a cunt this season. Um, you know, maybe it's just that, and I'm, I'm overlooking all the good things that he's done at places he's been. It's probably that. Um, but I just don't think he's the man for the job there right now. I think he has to go, uh, and he has to go quickly. Yeah, I think you feel like that because he's managed two rival clubs of years. Probably, but he was a good manager at Chelsea. You guys won the league with him, didn't you? Yeah, I think it was his first year. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah but bringing in a guy like Poch in, he's, he was at the club for four or five seasons. Yep. Runner-up in the Champions League, and several of the key players from his time there are still there, Kane and Son, so he'll, his, his, his system will slip back in seamlessly. I wonder if he'll unlock Sun because we've seen flashes of of brilliance in Sun this season. Just not, yeah. you know, he's just not streaking like he was back in the day. He was so consistent. Uh, yeah. I think I think we could see. By the way, Richarlison is shit. I just need to put that yeah. out there. Waste um, of money. Yeah, complete waste. Should have stayed at Everton. He'd be banging in goals for Everton. Uh, but yeah. All right, let's move on. We've talked enough about Tottenham and Southampton for that matter. Aston Villa three, Bournemouth nil. Uh, this one was an absolute scorcher from Aston Villa. They look fantastic in this one. Douglas Louise with the goal in the seventh. Jacob Ramsey with one in the eightieth. Then Emmy Buendia, who's finally come out of his shell a bit this season, in the excuse me eighty ninth. Aston Villa with no shortage of chances in this one. Nine shots on target on twenty total shots. Sixty percent possession. They move the ball around extremely well. Lined up with what I think is their full strength lineup. Esri Conson, Tyrone Mings at the back with Matty Cash and Moreno on the flanks. John McGinn and Douglas Louise in the center. And then Bailey, Buendia, Ramsey across the front with Watkins up top. This is the best team that Aston Villa can put out. And what a performance this was by them. Bournemouth, despite their best efforts and three total shots on target, were unable to get any to fall. After a pretty decent run of form, Philip Billing and his gang of unruly malcontents unable to get a point from this one. What do you think? It was... Uh, I think the scoreline didn't justify how much Bournemouth were in this game up until that 80th minute when Villa doubled down on the lead. You saw several chances in the second half from Bournemouth under Solanke. Billing had a free kick that was going top corner, but Martinez pulled out a worldie of a save. 
and uh, uh, Ahmed Traore came off the bench, who's been out for the past couple games. He was a January signing and has been a massive impact for them. He's taken a lot of their set pieces and had a couple of key passes in this game as well, uh, unlocking the back line of Villa, catching them flat-footed at times. But yeah, it seems like Una Emery has been one of the better signings this summer under the managers. I think this has been a season where we've seen the most sackings. I think we're definitely in double digits now for managerial changes, but he's definitely one that's been on the positive side of things. He's opened up things a lot for players that at the beginning of the year we thought maybe were mediocre or subpar. Uh, but like Ollie Watkins has been doing good. Ramsey with the goal you mentioned. Louise has been a guy that stepped up a lot. Um, Buendia as well. We, with under uh, Steven Gerrard, he was a guy that didn't really get regular time. Coutinho was getting those minutes, and now it's opposite now with Unai. Coutinho's clearly out, and Buendia is getting all those minutes. So a lot of positives for Villa here. They definitely deserve the win. Bournemouth, I think, with this result, in my mind, secures uh, that they're going down. Out of all those teams in that area, I'm pretty positive that they definitely don't have what it takes to stay up. That back line, I watched replays of the game and went on Peacock to watch the full game and just skip through. That back line really is just championship quality, and yeah. they just didn't make enough signings in that area of the pitch to do anything. Uh, I will say Neto was a good signing. He's definitely a guy that has a lot to do and makes the most of it, but that just the guys in front of him can't get the job done, and it's really sad to see for a bunch of those guys. We did see um, David Brooks get yes. back in the game here. That was a moment that everybody was super happy about. I forget specifically, but he's been battling uh, something for a long time now and was out for the majority of the, se- of the season. So that was a good moment on their end of things to end on a positive for Bournemouth. Yeah. Um, David Brooks, actually, believe it or not, diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma back in October. Yeah. Uh, that was two years ago, I think. It was still maybe COVID or the end of COVID when that happened. Uh, Hodgkin, Hodgkin's lymphoma, no joke. So it was really, really nice to see him back uh, in the team. You know, the crowd was, was extremely excited to see that. That's always a nice thing to see. Even the Villa, uh, Villa fans clapped him on. That was That was really nice to see. Okay. Um, I'll pass this one off to you. Uh, another sort of, I don't want to call it a thriller because it was pretty one-sided, but really entertaining watch. Wolves 2, Leeds United 4. I never thought we'd see a Wolves team give up four goals in a game. It's, that's been their backbone, has been their defense. And to give it up to a team like Leeds, who... I've really been struggling this year, and this was a massive step up for Garcia and his boys at Leeds. Uh, started off early six minute, Willie Nato assisting Jack Harrison. Nice little dr- cutback. A lot of cards in this game. Uh, a pair of red cards as well for Wolves late in the second half. Uh, Leeds got doubled in the 49th minute. Luke Ayling assisted by Mark Rocca. And then a third coming in from instant substitute, uh, Ramos. Rasmus Christensen, who scored within 30 seconds of coming on off a corner. And then we saw the momentum shift. We saw an odd an odd goal out of Yanni, uh, a headed out clearance from the goalkeeper Meslier. Uh, ball was sent to the left to Yanni, who first time volleyed about 40 yards out, chips the goalie. And that really set the Molyneux off and got things going for Wolves. 
They got a second from Mateus Cunha. Uh, things got really shaky for Leeds playing on the road. You're up 3-0. You give up two goals now. And being in a situation here where a loss is really going to kill you and put you right in that relegation zone. But they managed to stay strong. Yanni got a red card here um, for a very poor challenge. Definitely could have broke Luke Ayung's leg. Uh, and then in the 96th minute, we saw Rodrigo, who's now back from a long-term injury. He's still leading the team in goals this year. Uh, oh. This was his 11th in all comps. So that sealed the deal. And then we saw uh, Mateus Nunez in the 99th minute get a red. So he's a key guy to have missing for three games now for Wolves, as well as Yanni having a depth on the fullback position. But it was really sad here to see for Wolves because we've been thinking they've been doing really well. And now four losses in their last six. Yeah. These guys love move. red cards, by the way. Yeah, Costa, he was <laughs> on the bench. He's back. He's, he was fit to play. That was nice to see. But losing that early momentum they had six weeks ago to thinking they were safe, now, just like Palace, they're dragged right into this, three points above the drop. Got hot at the wrong time. It happens, man. Yeah, you, you gotta be really. I mean, obviously, you can't really pick when you're gonna have a run of form. You kind of can, but it's not like you can just say we want to win three games in a row here and then go back to being mid. Like that, that's that's obviously not the mentality that any team is trying to have. Um, but I think you're kind of right. They got hot a little bit too early. They would have been better served getting a couple of draws, maybe a win, maybe a loss. Uh, and then saving their wins for, for later on in the season when other teams are gassed. Uh, I think they may have caught fire a little bit too soon, and like you said, they're right with, with Palace. Uh, they're, they're just not out of the woods, and you've got Nottingham Forest, not next week, but the week after, and then Chelsea after that, and Brentford after that. These are not easy games. Nottingham Forest, they can probably win, but I don't fancy them against Chelsea, and I don't fancy them against Brightford or Brentford. So I don't know. It's it's going to be really tough uh, for Wolves here. Same for Palace heading down towards the end of the season, and I'm not not confident. You know, I think Leeds are showing Leeds are really showing a little bit of fight here. Um, four goals on four shots on target, always always impressive. And I, I do think Leeds, some way or another, are going to save themselves. I don't know how, but something is telling me that, that they're going to stay up. Yep. Um, okay, let us move on to the next one. Uh, Chelsea 2, Everton 2. You're welcome to take this one as well. Absolutely, I would be thrilled. Yeah. Um... Hey, they did play well. I thought they played well. Yeah, um, yeah, not I'm not going to get into a, so much. I'm not going to get into a rant because I'll get thrown off. But starting from the beginning, first half, you saw chances here and there. Playing against any Sean Dyche team, they they really set the trenches low, and it's so hard to break them down. And on top of that, the way Chelsea play, it's almost impossible for us to get in behind. Um, the starting lineup, though, Pulisic getting a start uh, instead of. Um, Mount Sterling, I believe, was hurt or wasn't able to play, and then we had um Mudrick as well on the bench. We also had Angola Conte on the bench, so he's fit to play now. We'll definitely be seeing him come the return in April, but 
yeah other than that it was pretty normal Patty's show came in for cucarella everybody else was the same reese james in there as well um coming in from off this cheek in the previous game so 52nd minute Jeff felix gets early lead a uh, nice little snapshot off the back post and in that was something he's been needed for a while um hitting the post and the crossbar is his thing but this one goes in and then we lose a bit of momentum there in 69th minute uh, typical dice goal ball cross tarkowski heads on ducore taps in off a corner and that really just deflated me i rolled right off the futon and just <laughs> was folding like a pretzel i was like not now yep Get bailed out in the 76th minute with a penalty. Reese James gets taken down from Tarkowski. His look on his face, he knew he was guilty. Mm-hmm. Pickford, he, Pickford even went over and just started screaming at him. Yeah. Havertz steps up nice and cool. Bit debatable. Uh, it looked like he almost stopped his momentum on the run-up, but he carries on to put it away in the top corner. Doesn't get reviewed. Thankfully, something goes our way there. I will take that one. Key sub, Ellis Sims comes in for Idrissa Gunnagay. In the 79th minute, Sean Dice puts the extra striker up top, really goes for it. Uh, has nothing to lose at this point. Uh, even if you lose 3-1, you're still in the bit of that scrap heap down there. Teams around him definitely with worse goal differential, but they needed a point here, and uh, they got in the 89th minute long ball. Ducori flicks on to Sims. Sims gets a nice first touch. Cuts in front of Koulibaly. Shoots across the goal. Kepa gets a hand on it, even his forearm on it, and it goes in. And the whole the whole bridge just collapsed, and yep. the, the away end burst into cheers and pandemonium, and uh, flares thrown on the end of the goal, and just or or a smokes bomb, um, just really killed the vibe, and really got people back on the bad potter train that's all they needed to get on that after three straight wins advancing to the quarterfinals in the champions league i did say last last week you you brought up the point of chelsea getting back in form and uh potentially are they back territory and my response being that they're playing the right teams at the right time Leeds and leicester teams that were struggling at those points and currently still are and a dortmund team that Luckily, had an early injury, and Bellingham missed a sitter. Things went our way there, but now an Everton team that has had enough time under Sean Dyche now that they have their instructions and they follow them well to a T. Dyche has them the morale high in the team in the club, and they're earning points where they need them, and especially on the road here at, at the Bridge that I think they said they haven't won in a very long time. So getting a point here is huge for them, and. Um, I heard in a podcast earlier that Sean Dyche is squeezing every last bit of talent and energy out of guys that you would have thought had nothing left in them. And yep. Ducore, Sims, Gray, Michael Keane back in the team now. Um, Seamus Coleman, who is definitely on the end of his career there. Just getting those guys to perform at a level and to stick into this game into the 90th minute where they get the equalizer is definitely telling for how it's going to end for them this year uh, potentially staying up but yeah he's a grinder a, yeah but on a chelsea end it's it's just really disappointing and even though we didn't lose this was an opportunity for us to jump fulham and get within two points of of liverpool in sixth and it's it's just hurts um obviously the worse we do here the more people want to talk about going all in on the champions league and that's a 
that's a long shot there, especially with the road we have that I, I kind of want to touch on towards the end of the show. But yeah, it's it's tough going into the international break, um, not getting the win, and would have been four straight wins, and Grandpa potentially would have been up for manager in the month. But guys are performing at a high level, and we're just losing bits of concentration and little things of positioning hurting us. And I think if Tiago Silva's in here instead of Koulibaly, we don't give up that second goal. But yeah, I, that's just my opinion. And yeah, I don't know what you had to say on it. No, I mean, I think that's fair. You, you've done a good job there covering essentially the entire game. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that's totally fair. I, I was expecting Chelsea to get this one. I thought they would win. I think on another day where they just make one or two less mistakes, they probably do win. Uh, that's that squeaky bum time where, where games can just totally shift. And instead of taking all three, Chelsea only take one in a fixture they probably should be winning, especially uh, considering current form, recent form. Uh, and this kind of shit happens. I mean, it, it does happen. There was a game earlier this season where Arsenal drew Southampton. Uh, it was 1-1. Like, I was so upset about it. And this kind of shit just does happen in this league sometimes. Everton are really tough to play. I don't I don't know what it is. Like no matter how shit they are, I feel like they stay in games against big six teams like consistently. They just show up a little bit more uh against those teams. Sometimes they get blasted, but more often than not, they, they do try. And Everton scoring two in this one against the Chelsea defense, who I rate highly. Uh, it wasn't really on my bingo card. I was I was a little shocked, but they they do play Chelsea tight. I feel like if I go back in my mental Rolodex, I can think of many many games, uh, where the games end in draws or the games end in Chelsea just escaping or, you know, it, it does happen sometimes. Uh, El Blazerico, this is the the fixture Men and Blazers, who I've been listening to for years. These are both of their teams and. These games are always interesting to watch. And this one was no exception to that, for sure. Uh, the one thing I do want to talk about was when I saw Pulisic come off, he was like flapping to the fans. It looked like he was he was retiring or something. What is, what's the deal with this guy? I don't know. I think he was on a set um, playtime thing there. Minute restriction? 60. I think he was only going to get 60 minutes, but I think that's just due to the amount of fucking players we have. I mean, yeah, no Mudrick in this one either. You bring a guy in for $85 million and he rarely sees the pitch. Now it's like, I'm getting more on the train of thought of that. Wasn't Potter's decision. That was more of a board bully type of thing. Um, it almost seems like there's only one opening up top. It seems like you have Felix there who, has to play because we played we paid ten million dollars for him to play twelve yeah. to fifteen Eight games. games. Yeah. Uh and you have Havertz up there who is the only guy that really fits that number nine role really and you have five other guys in there who can really rotate. You got Mudueke, Mudrick, Pulisic, Sterling, Mount. Um you can play Shukomeka and Gallagher up there as well. I mean there's so many guys on the bench that can play in that spot that it's ridiculous for a potter to have to pick somebody every week. Yeah. Um, and with playing the five back system, we restrict ourselves to only two people in the middle. So 
it kind of limits our creativity down the middle of the field and makes us have to go out on the wings, which is what this formation is built around. Chilwell and James are heavily involved in everything. I think I think the last couple games we've been heavily focusing on going down that left side with Chilwell that I felt like we could have gotten more out of James here and we didn't really get to test him going at Godfrey as much. Yeah. Um, he's a bit taller and not as nimble as uh, Minkolenko out there, but yeah, I felt like we could have gotten more out of James. I mean, getting him more involved, taking a couple shots as well. Um, we were running Tarkowski ragged a bit, and we know Michael Keane is due for a bit of a mistake too. So, I don't know. I felt like we could have gotten more out of this um, attacking-wise as always, but that's just what Chelsea ball is. It's just more side-to-side -side than vertical, and that's perfect for giving Deich and his men time to set their defense and get to get back in deep. So credit to them for getting a point on the road when they need it. But yeah, it's just adds to the idea of we're just trying to get to the end of the year and give Graham Potter a preseason and to clear out a bunch of guys that he's not going to use. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Let's move into the last game of the week in absolute uh, pump arsenal for Crystal Palace won. Gabriel Martinelli in the 28th. Kai Osaka in the 43rd and 74th. Granite Xhaka, who we don't see score that many goals, 55th. And in between all of that madness, Jeffrey Schlupp poked home on some pretty sloppy defending in the 63rd. Nine shots for Palace, five of those on target. Uh, Wolf Zaha had two chances that probably should have gone in. One hit the post, and the other one was just mishit. Uh, but Arsenal, in all of the time in between, was dominating. Moving the ball extremely well. Effectively, from flank to flank, Zinchenko surging forward. Partey controlling the pace in the midfield. Odegaard, many chances, unable to get any to fall. Trussard playing in between, weaving in and out. Uh, and the ball just moving effortlessly from player to player. I cannot get enough of watching this team. Arsenal have always played, tried to play like this. But this is the first season since probably 2015 where I genuinely feel like they could beat literally anybody you put them up against on the day. And I know that's not necessarily true. I think if you put us up, I mean, we just lost to fucking sporting. Um, but if, if you put them up against pretty much any team in the Prem uh, on any given day, they are going to fight and give you at least a good performance, even if they don't win. And they're so dedicated to the play style. They had to deal with Rob Holding in there at center back. He's not ideal for me, but Saliba is injured at this point. Um, and finally, I start, I'm starting to feel like, you know, the midfield, the forward depth is there with Jesus. We saw a little bit of Smith Rowe. We have Jorginho who can get in there um, in the center and replace Partey or replace Shaka. And this was just just so perfect. I mean, Palace, no new manager bounce, uh, and just a complete uh, show of domination from the league leaders. That tone of voice, the way you speak about that, is something I'm highly jealous of. I'm just well, going to note that. <laughs> I, I know, but there have been points where I watched Chelsea, maybe not in that same way, right? It's not always artful that's always been the sort of identity that arsenal have liked to play with even all the way back to the days of Henri. like that was the the tiki taka the, the dribble moves that sort of skill um some teams play more of a bruiser style of football where it just comes down to pace 
and that's just not what this team is. There's a there's no shortage of pace, but the ball movement is crazy, dude. I feel like I'm watching Barcelona. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just... I've waited a really long time to watch Arsenal play this way, and it does feel good. And I am reveling in it, and I know some people are already tired of this because the Arsenal Twitter is, is a strong Twitter. It's a strong side of Twitter, and, and there's a lot of, of self-suck going on. Uh, but we've waited for a long time to see this, and I truly hope it pays off because if it doesn't, I'm going to be fucking soul-crushed. Yeah, 10 games left. One yeah. of those against City. Uh, a match that could define the year and really set you apart there. Yep. Um, but yeah, we already touched on Palace a lot earlier. So from from the beginning, you could tell uh, Arsenal running the show. One one thing to note was Joachim Anderson was set to return in the starting lineup here, but was injured during the warm-up. So yeah. James Tompkins had to step in there and picked up a nice little yellow card for himself and young Whitworth and goal again and had a couple chances there where um, experience showed. And yeah, it's tough. Um, on the Arsenal starting lineup, Jesus being back and still he's starting Trissard up there. Um, I guess when you guys return, now that you're out of Europa League, it's all in on the Prem. Um, come back from the break when you guys come back. Um, is Trissard starting up front or would you rather Jesus... Um, I think now after this week, maybe Jesus. I don't think Charles Harper's bad in this one by any stretch whatsoever, but uh, it's probably time. Like I said last week, like maybe don't take Charles Hart out uh, right away for Jesus, but I saw Jesus midweek. I don't think he looked bad. I don't think he's probably going to give you as many contributions, but for some reason or another, teams are really drawn to defending Gabriel Jesus, and I think... Um, especially in that city fixture and maybe in some of the fixtures that are going to be tough, Chelsea. Like, those are teams that know they have to mark him because he's so good with the ball at his feet. I think Trussard's more of a pacey sort of, you know, he kind of sweats the ball a lot. Um, that's, that is going to be something we need. So I do think for this next six, you know, five, six weeks, you can interchange them, but I would like to see Jesus getting a few starts here and there, or, you know, at least getting a lion's share of the, uh, of the starts at, at number nine. Yeah. Your next three, you got Leeds, Liverpool, West Ham. So yeah, he should start against Liverpool. I think for sure. The other ones, maybe you, you can use Trossard, but I don't really think either of them would be upset with splitting starts either. I think, yeah, you're at the point where they're all bought into the process. Yeah. They want to win. I think Mikel has had three to four, three years now where he's set the culture and they understand how he works and rotates the team. And now being having no other competitions to play for, and you have 10 games to close out the year and earn something that nobody thought you guys would have at this point um, in the in the pro, in the progress of the club and where it's at. So, and also being the youngest team in the league is something that. They're definitely looking to break some records there. And, um, yeah. yeah, rooting for you guys. I'd rather see you guys win than City. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I think I probably would rather see – I think I'd probably rather see Chelsea win than City again as well at this point. I think well, anybody but City. Like, I think most of us, if you're not a City fan, which let's be real, nobody is because those fans don't exist. 
I think they're all holograms. Uh, you would root for for a club that has a little bit more history than than City. I don't um, think Chelsea's going to be top four for a couple of years. No, nah, you never know. You never know. Who knows who you guys will will you know acquire? Know. You guys don't could buy Messi. Guy. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you have a trillion dollars in the transfer kitty. Um, don't want Messi. He's <laughs> old. Um, what was I going to say? I do quickly before we move on. We'll talk about the Champions League just for a sec. But I kind of feel after the loss against Sporting that if we win the Prem, I shouldn't be worried about what what other people think because I'm I'm so bought into winning the prem. That's what I want. Um, other people are going to say Arsenal tanked or didn't care about the rest of their competitions just so they could focus on winning. You know, winning the prem and that's it. They couldn't they couldn't compete in all the other tournaments and win the Premier League. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that's Something I should even have on my mind or not? Am I just being neurotic? Sorry, I, I like blacked out. That. That's what okay. So a lot of people are saying like, you know, Arsenal couldn't cut it in the rest of the tournaments this right. year because they had to focus on winning the Prem. They could only win one thing at a time. They could only compete at one thing at a time. That's like sort of weighing on me a little bit. Is it something I should even be concerned about? Like those those voices, those things, or... You know, not really don't worry about it. Winning the Prem is one of the hardest things you can do. I think that is the hardest competition to win. I yeah. think we see we see City struggle with that as well. With the Champions League, it just seems like there's always something that holds them up. Yep. Um, getting deep into that tournament and trying to win it. But they, they win the... They don't... Well, I guess recently, last five years, they win the league consistently and make it look so easy but i feel like that's always what the priority the top priority is is you have to win the league yeah. and for arsenal at the point where they're at um going deep into these tournaments is a good but it nobody thought the prem was was in the realm of possibility maybe an fa cup league cup type deal or yeah um europa league but i think regardless you just throw that out the window i don't think any arsenal fan would say they're upset um majorly about not winning those tournaments but yeah. to w- to win the prem and just hold it in front of everybody all your rivals and just laugh uh, and say we got one here is something huge and to build off of so yeah um yeah i don't think you should be too worried about that if, if i didn't if chelsea didn't win any other tournaments six uh, and consistently competed and won the prem every every other year i'd be happy with that yeah i think that's fair i think that's that's pretty much where i am uh, on that one and what I'm telling myself is if Arsenal win the league uh, it's going to be mighty attractive for for potential you know transfers in uh, yeah. even guys that are just going to you know would be happy to be squad players be rotation players like it would it for sure will help you know um, because... I don't know what big signing you'd bring in next no I don't know either because we'd already talked on a Tillemans yeah but like everybody really is performing so well, I wouldn't want to change Zinchenko. Even White, I think, has been like really good. And then we have so many guys that are like waiting in the wings with Smith Rowe. Like I want to see those guys get their chances, you know. So uh, I, yeah, I have no idea. But it's it's good. It's good to be wanted, right? By by yeah. other good players. I think that's that's something you want. Um, let's touch on Champions League because you kind of wanted to mention that the the draw was when. Like, 
three days ago, four days ago at this point. Yeah, last two Wednesday was the last game. So the quarterfinals are as stands. You have Benfica, Inter, Man City, Bayern, Madrid, Chelsea, and then Milan, Napoli. And they already set up the semifinal draw, which is heavily one-sided. On one side, you have Benfica, Inter against the winner, Milan, Napoli. And then you have the other side, which is Madrid, Chelsea against City, Bayern. So... I think everybody would likely say the the latter was going to have the side that the winner is. Yeah. Um, and I think out of all the teams to draw here, I think Madrid is definitely the number one team I didn't want to see due yeah. to how ser- they're serial winners when it comes to this tournament, regardless of how they are in their league domestically. When it comes to the Champions League, this is a, is a tournament you don't want to see them in. Uh, and we obviously have our history with them. Every year we play, we play them in the knockout round at some point. Uh, last year was controversial with VAR and goal line decisions that kind of set us back and gave them a, them the momentum to beat us. But different time now, different team, different manager. Obviously, uh, the first leg is going to be on the road for us, and I would say hopefully we can keep it within one to put us in a similar situation how the Dortmund one went. But it's it's a tall task. I don't expect us to win the tournament. I'd like to see a good showing here. And if we get knocked out, that's fine, in my opinion. But if we can somehow win this and make it to the semis, I would put myself in the position that where we should just go and win the whole damn thing at that point. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. This is going to be... I think this is going to be a crazy final six. Like, all of these teams... With maybe the like, I'm not counting Chelsea out. I'm just not doing it because I kind of counted them out in the year that they won. Didn't really expect it, and they totally did. There's maybe one team that I don't think has the juice. Maybe two. Don't think has the juice to win it. Benfica and Inter. Uh, unfortunately, those two teams are playing each other, so one of them is going to advance. Uh, I think City and Bayern can both win. I think Madrid and even Chelsea can win. And then I think Milan is a total dark horse, but Napoli, dude, I've been watching uh, a lot of Napoli. I'm scared of them. They are fucking no joke. Like, they are crazy. Their defense is good. Kavara and uh, Osiman are like <laughs> unreal. Osiman might be the best striker in the world. He's fucking nuts. He is so good. And they're calling they're calling uh, Kvicha Varakchelia, however you want to say his name. I've tried many times to learn it. They're calling him Kvaradana, uh, naming him after Maradona, Napoli's you know talisman club legend. They have guys like Raspadori and Politano. They are really really good, and their midfield with uh, Peter uh, Zielinski and Enzambo Angisa is really just so architectural and so good. So. That 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 uh, tie versus uh, AC Milan is going to be appointment viewing. Do not miss out. I know people that listen to this show mainly watch the Prem. Um, do not miss out because both of these teams from Italy, not so much Inter. I don't. They don't really move the needle for me. But uh, AC Milan and Napoli are both extremely good sides, and they play such attractive football. It's totally worth a watch. Who's your front runner? Uh, front runner to win. Uh, I yeah. think it's going to be Bayern. Uh, I really do. I don't know what's telling me that. I think 
when you look at Madrid's history in this tournament, what, they have 11 Champions Leagues, I think? Because yeah. um, La Decima was when Ronaldo was still there. They've got 11 after the win last year. They just stand apart from the rest, but I don't think they're able to repeat. Uh, I just think Bayern haven't won in a while. And with who they have you know, on the flanks and in midfield and at the back, even with the addition of Cancelo, uh, Bayern are just a really, really good team. If the defense shores up a little bit in front of Jan Sommer, who's their first-choice keeper now, uh, I think Bayern can absolutely win it. I don't think they will have any issue whatsoever with City, even with Holland in the form that he's in. Uh, I just There's a mental roadblock for Pep, and he's going up against... One of the many teams he's managed in Bayern, and I just think that they're going to edge them out, and I think they're going to win the whole thing. Yeah, Bayern would be my one, and then I yep. put Na- I put my final as Bayern Napoli at this. Oh, point. I love it! I'd love to watch that. Uh, quickly, Europa League. You already mentioned Arsenal's out. The final, final, the quarterfinals. You got Roma, Feyenoord, who Feyenoord beat uh, Ajax in a one-two yep. match over the weekend. Juve playing Sporting, United Sevilla, yep. United playing their fourth La Liga team this year in, in international or in a European competition, uh, and then Leverkusen against Union Saint uh, Gilles Jalous. Yeah, wow. you know, yeah, they're like Belgian. So, who's your front runner there? Is you, is it United or bust? Uh, yeah, I mean, you would think uh, that it probably would be United or bust, but I've got a I've got something in my heart telling me that. Um, Leverkusen could could make a run. Something something about it. Maybe it's the ninety upgradable uh, Diaby that's sitting in my foot club. Uh, <laughs> I I'm not sure, but I do <laughs> I do think Leverkusen have been extremely good this year. Uh, Juve, there's potential there as well, even though they're in the absolute gutter right now. Uh, and then another one, like kind of a, a dark horse, is is Roma. I don't think you can ever count uh, Jose Mourinho out of these tournaments. That guy just doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to lose. And I think there's totally a chance that we see uh, Jose Mourinho and Roma in the final in Budapest this year. I totally can see it. Yeah, and they're on the opposite side of the bracket right. of uh, United. So I'd love to see United-Roma match Mourinho going up against a former yeah. club. I think out of that side of the bracket, you you would definitely back uh, United to make the final. But I, I don't want to count Sevilla out either because they're a club, believe right. it or not, with a lot of of standing in European football within the last five years. They seem to always be there come the final eight, the final four, the final uh, in the Europa League. They they basically own this competition. They, they go up uh, into the Champions League. They come back down, and they're in a terrible spot in La Liga. So this is, a hu- this is very, very important for them this year. Yeah, and out of the last eight, all all eight are representing from a dif- different nation as well. Yeah, so that's cool. That, that's interesting. And I guess one more thing to close: FA Cup. We saw semifinals. Now you got City, Sheffield United, Brighton, potentially a Manchester derby in the final. Or does Deserby have something to say about that? What's that? Gonna, I just did a blackout, just like you did. Yeah, I was just saying the semifinals are set up now to where City are going to play Sheffield after City. Yeah. Thrash Company and Burnley 6-0 after yeah. they've had a phenomenal championship run. They get a real taste of the Prem. Uh, and then Sheffield 3-2 win over Blackburn. You have that on one side. Other side, you have Brighton against United. Both teams winning big. 
the United one controversial with Fulham taking yeah. the lead. Uh, a handball on Willian goal line gets a red card. Mitrovic gets a red card for pushing the ref. He potentially will be out for more than three games. Yeah, he's going to. I saw that today. And, and then Marco Silva as well got a red card. So all three of those guys will miss their next three in the league. Um, so semifinals, you have Brighton United on one end and then City Sheffield. Is it too easy to say it's going to be a Manchester derby in the final? I think United it is. For a league double, or does Zerbi have something to say with Brighton? No, I, I think it is. I, I think Brighton uh, are actually going to make it to the FA Cup final. I don't think they're going to win. Uh, I think City will, but I really do think that Brighton have something going right now, and United look really fatigued. Even in that win against Fulham, they did not look good. Uh, Boz didn't think they looked all that good either. So I I really think uh, that we could see Brighton. You know, I'm I'm kind of bought in. Yeah, yeah, I'm not out on them either. But um, I think United potentially they're still in for a treble here. They win this competition in the Europa League. Yeah, in a year that Ten Hag joins and there's questions around him. What does that speak on his first season potential <sighs> treble? I I mean I think it's extremely impressive, and I've. I've sort of changed my tone on Ten Hag. You know, we talked to Boz about it last week. He's part of Ten Hag's army. Uh, I do think that he is a, a good manager. I think he's not a manager that we're going to see go in and out at United. I thought at Christmas time he'd be sacked, but I've come around on him. I think he's unlocked some of their players. I think the signing of Casemiro, he was instrumental in. Uh, and I think he's really unlocked Rashford and given him some confidence. So... I do think that you know winning treble, even winning the double, or just winning one tournament, it's it's not bad. You know, Ten Hag is building something, and everybody's got to get on the train and and buckle up and be ready for whatever the ride entails. But I do think that he is a good manager. He's of that quality uh, that United should should be employing, and uh, a treble would be sensational. Nobody would complain about that one. Somebody at some point definitely would. Well, sure, but. <laughs> All right. I think that closes out the episode. Yeah. I actually, um, for you guys last week that were looking for timestamps at one point, um, there actually will be. I actually synced up uh, the recording of on my end to Evans, so they will be accurate this week. Yeah. Um, make sure you guys check us out. At Post 20 Pod on all of our streaming platforms. If you want to listen to any past episodes we've done, uh, as we mentioned, we had Boz on last week, new guest. If you guys want to see um, his takes, Evan already mentioned he's a big United guy, so you can get his side on things up to this point in the year. Um, also, social media has been picking up as of lately. We've been on Twitter and Instagram banging stuff out. That's also at Post 20 Pod, um, Instagram, Twitter. Make sure you check out the content over there. Interact with it. Let us know what maybe potentially you want to look or you want more information on club-wise. And uh, we're going to be back sometime, well, next next week in the midweek. There's going to be no recap, but we're going to do previews for the upcoming April slate. Yep. Crazy to say. Um, we're, we're on the home stretch of the year. Uh, our clubs at different points. Uh, as I mentioned, there's different tiers to the to the standings. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see how the year closes out, and hopefully we'll get a couple new people on here. Yeah, sounds good to me. All right, guys, thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Take care.